Welcome to the Unconventional RD Podcast, where we inspire dietitians to think outside of the traditional employment box and create their own unconventional income streams. We'll talk all things online business to help you start, grow, and scale your own digital empire. Have you ever seen articles by dietitians on popular websites and wondered, how in the world did they get that gig? Have you thought about dabbling in freelance writing but feel totally overwhelmed with where you should start? Well, if so, then this is the episode for you. We are chatting with Anna Reisdorf, a dietitian who quit her full-time clinical position to become a writer and now earns six figures per year doing something she absolutely loves. Anna shares her journey into freelance writing, her top tips for breaking into this field, and pulls back the curtain on exactly what it looks like to write for others, how you get clients, how you get paid, and what she would do differently if she had to start all over again. So for real, this episode is so detailed and helpful, I know it's going to inspire any writers-to-be. All right, today we have Anna Reisdorf with us on the podcast, and I am stoked about this interview because I think freelance writing is something that a lot of dietitians are interested in, but maybe feels a little intimidating or very foreign. So I'm excited to talk more with Anna and learn about how she got started and really excelled in this career area. So thanks for being here, Anna. Thank you, Erica. It's awesome to be part of your new podcast. I've been waiting for it for a long time. Yeah, me too, like two (laughs) years, but I finally got my butt in gear. So yeah, thank you for being one of the first guests. I think people are going to find a lot of value in what we're talking about today. So I think to start out, I just want to get some background on you and how you found yourself becoming a freelance writer. Like, I guess my first question would be, did you always know you wanted to be a writer? And if so, like what led you to start initially in dietetics? Like how did that evolve over time? Sure. When I graduated from high school, I actually wanted to be a therapist for a while. So I have a degree in psychology from UCLA. And then in the back of my mind, I always wanted to like write a novel. I always pictured myself kind of like being a writer, but it seemed like this weird like dream that was sort of like vague and not really like an actual career. And I I didn't know how to really make it happen. When I graduated from college, I kind of flailed around for a little bit. I was a high-end bar mitzvah event planner in LA, which was like a whole other thing. And then I, um, for about four years, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I did all sorts of different things. I worked in research and this and that. And I started taking some writing classes, like more creative writing, because I really thought I would write like a novel. And then I started getting interested in nutrition and health and like going to the gym and doing that kind of thing. And so I felt like that was kind of a good career for me to go into. I'd always kind of been interested in healthy eating. And so I went back to school to get my RD. And I thought that I would work in weight management. Like that was my passion. I worked at Jenny Craig while I was in school. My first job out of school was in health education, helping like people who wanted, who had to do like weight loss surgery and Optifast, which is like a liquid diet program, if you're not familiar with that. And that's really what I thought like was going to be it. Like my, I remember saying like, I would do this job for free my first two weeks at the job. But after about two or three years, reality kind of set in on what that really meant. 
And it was kind of a combination of office politics, which were pretty awful and feeling like I didn't really have the training to really deal with like the underlying reasons why people were struggling with weight loss, like their mental health and that kind of thing. Like I just wasn't prepared for how much weight loss was mental. Like it's 95% mental. And I just, I felt like I didn't, I couldn't, it wasn't really effective and I just got burnt out. So then I just thought, okay, well I'll switch careers or switch jobs like within the same company. And so I went to a clinical job for a little while and that was just boring. Like that was like tediously, awfully unchallenging after about six months. It was, I worked on a med surge floor where it was just nothing interesting ever showed up and it was, it was just boring. And so during that time, I kind of started flirting with blogging because that was kind of like the end of the like 2008, 2009, when blogging kind of started taking off. And so I started a blog and like would kind of write and thought, oh, if I could make this work, but just never really did. And then in 2012, my mother got diagnosed with breast cancer and I was just kind of at this weird impasse in my personal life. I didn't like my job. I felt like it was just suffocating this clinical job and there was nowhere to go. Like there was no career path. Like it was that, like, that was it. Like, yeah, I could be the director of the food service, but like after that, you can't go anywhere else. Like that, there's nowhere to go. That feels like getting me, I was in a bad relationship that I couldn't get out of. And I kept going back and forth on that. So my mom wanted to get her cancer treatment in Brazil. So I just left. I took FMLA off my job and left for three months and went to Brazil and just like did yoga on the beach and just tried to sort out my life because like, I didn't know, couldn't figure out what to do. And during that time, I started communicating with this other dietitian who told me she was traveling the world and supporting herself with writing. And I was like, what? Like, I have been following her on her blog and we, she, we were like exchanging emails. And I was like, how do I do that? So she introduced me to this company who, which at the time was called Demand Media, which was like cranking out like thousands of blog posts a day for like Livestrong and The Nest. And they paid $25 an article, but I started writing. And I was like, I'm a writer. Like, look at my name is published places. Like I couldn't, believe that. And I would sit there and crank out like eight articles a day, (laughs) these like short, like 500 word articles, but I was writing, you know, and that was like 200 bucks that I could use to go out to dinner with my friends. Like it was totally perfect. So the career kind of took me a lot of different ways and writing wasn't always my, my main focus until my son was born. He's four now. And then I decided like, this is finally my chance to become a full-time writer. And over the last four years, since he's been born, it I've dropped everything else. I haven't worked in any other thing for two years and I'm a full-time writer. And it's just like kind of built slowly over, over time back from those $25 articles that I was happy to be writing. I think that's such a real and inspiring story, you know, seeing the transition and sharing the confusion and the lack of clarity at one point, because I feel like a lot of people are there right now. (laughs) And I've been there. And I resonated a lot with the, I think there's a lot of parallels in your journey and my own journey in terms of like, I always kind of wanted to have an online business in some capacity. Mm -hmm. But when starting out, it's like, you're right. It's like, how do I get there? It's also unclear, but you know, figure it out over time. So yeah, I guess with freelance writing, So is this something that is really a viable career path for dietitians right now in 2020? I think it's unlimited. I mean, unlimited. I was just listening to something that was saying there's 
1.5 billion websites, like seven blogs for every person in the world. So, I mean, how many websites are the, I mean, they're not all nutrition, obviously, but the opportunity for RDs is unlimited, unlimited, like food companies, like look at just the number of food products on the shelf. Every single one of those companies needs writers for various marketing pieces to help with, you know, the nutrition piece of their products, like just the dietary supplement companies go to Sprouts or Whole Foods. And like, there's 46 million aisles of dietary supplements. Like all of those companies are desperate for RD writers. Like there is literally unlimited. I can't even keep up. It's amazing. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, once you're in it, I feel like you see the opportunity everywhere, but then when you're maybe starting out, it feels so abstract. Like how do you even connect with these companies? Mm -hmm. So I don't know, like where would you start as someone who is thinking about getting into freelance writing? What's like the first move someone should make? First move, I think really is to have a couple of samples, right? Because any company that you reach out to, anyone that's going to like want any job that you apply for is going to want to see that you can write. And when I started, it was really just my own little personal blog that I used as a sample. It wasn't anything crazy incredible, but there's a lot of different places where you can get samples. Like you could reach out to a colleague and say, can I publish something on your blog? You know, I'm sure several colleagues have content needs that they're not able to meet and they could give you like an article with with your name on it. Today's Dietitian has that RD lounge that you can publish as an RD on that website. And that's a published sample. You can go on Medium. Medium will even, if they like your article, they'll like curate it and put it in their feed or in their magic area. I don't know what it's really called, but. Yeah. Can you explain what Medium is just for people who might not know? Sure. It's just a website where anyone can publish an article pretty much. And they have a, some type of commission program where if your article gets a certain number of views, you get a commission. Actually just got a little, a dollar and 17 cents from them. Yay! <laughs> but you never know. Maybe your article will blow up and you'll make a whole $5 from it or something. But anywhere that you can get a sample and you don't need like 40, you need like two or three totally. to kind of get started. And from there, you can start applying for jobs you see online. So that's kind of the first place. Yeah, that's a great lesson in terms of not letting perceived obstacles hold you back. Like you don't even need your own website. There are places Mm -hmm. you can go on the internet to get published and then use that as your jumping off point basically. And I feel you like I, people listening, if they listened to the first episode and heard my whole story, they know that for a while I was also freelance writing for Healthline Mm -hmm. slash authority nutrition when they first made that transition. But yeah, I applied for that job and my only writing sample was my own blog. So I mean, I didn't get the position the first time, but they circled back around and got back in touch with me later that year. And that worked out great for me for a really long time. So yeah, it's, it doesn't need to be anything really that crazy. I don't think. No. And, and kind of just go off what you just said, like writing is a little bit of a long game. I can't even tell you how many jobs I've applied for. And they've said like, no, or we're going with this other person or whatever. And then six months later, a year later, they come back and they're like, oh, like we want to work with you now, or we have a bigger budget or things have changed or we're going a different direction, you know? So I think it's easy to get discouraged because we want like to get the job right away, but it doesn't really always work like that. Yeah. It's kind of like acting or real estate or something Mm -hmm. where it's, it's, I also feel like as someone who pays a writer for my own content creation on my website, I feel like there's some aspect of like, once you're in 
people probably start referring you because they, I mean, some people I think would be a, a little hesitant to just hire someone randomly. So I think referrals can play a really big role, right. build up that reputation. Like I've referred my writer to people all the time because I know she does amazing work. So, mm-hmm. and then people trust that. So yeah, I feel like that's very true with a lot of business. Like it's just always harder in the beginning when you're getting that momentum. Right. There's some weird momentum that just happens. I don't know where the magic is, but it's definitely happened to me. So how much money realistically could someone expect to make as a freelance writer? I think unlimited. Now there's only so many hours in the day and there's only so much writing that one's brain can really handle in a day. So you are somewhat limited by that. I crossed six figures last year. I do have a team of writers who work for me. So all of that income was not just mine. I did need help of the team because I would not have been able to complete all of that work on my own. My goal this year is 250,000 in sales. That's freaking amazing. I think it's definitely achievable. And I love that you realized, because I feel like this is this draws so many parallels with any type of one-on-one work, client work or whatever. There is only so many hours of your own personal time. So I love that. I mean, you thought a little bit outside of the box to grow a team. Is it something where like you're the head of the business? I'm just curious on like mm-hmm. how this works. Is it like you draw the business in and then your team members, you got give them assignments and then like a revenue share or something like that? Yeah. So I still do quite a bit of work and I'm my goal in 2020 is to not do any more of the writing because I can't grow the business if I'm trying to do the writing. But yes, I play I pay them a flat rate. And it's, it's based on, you know, what I'm making, the more my rates go up, the more their rates are going to go up. And then I just assign them the articles and we just have a Trello board where we communicate and I tell them, you know, articles are available, grab them. And it seems to work out pretty seamlessly. I think if you ever expanded that and took more people on your team, that could be limitless because... I feel as someone who dabbled a little bit in this arena that getting the clients is kind of the hardest and scariest part. So mm-hmm. if you could just like pop in and be like, oh, here's all these articles up for grabs and just write when when writing is really what you love. That's great. It's great for you and for our community of dietitians. Well, my end goal is to be the Upwork for RDs. I want all the nutrition clients to come to me and I decide who gets the work. <laughs> That's amazing. And so so needed, so innovative. I love it. Thank you. I'm excited. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> so just kind of continuing along my general questions about freelance writing. Yeah. Do you think that any type of dietitian can become a freelance writer, even if they're brand new? Do they need any certain type of experience you think that would help set them apart? Or what are your thoughts on that? No, I think anyone could be a writer if you want to be a writer. Now, your writing takes practice and some degree of skill because it can be hard. It can be hard. You know, you have to want to do it. And I look back at the articles that I wrote in the beginning and they were awful. You know, it's, I hope I'm better now, but (laughs) it takes practice over time. And it it takes a lot of time and dedication and not everybody likes to write, you know, it it can be pretty boring sometimes. So it just depends on, on what you like to do. Yeah. And then, so basically just along the lines of what you said earlier, where if this feels like something you're interested in, get a writing sample in some capacity and then start pitching yourself basically. Yeah. Do you think people look at your resume? Does that factor in at all? Or they're mostly looking at your writing sample? I think that they really are looking at your writing sample and then 
at the end of the day, what the clients really want is somebody who's reliable. And I can't stress that enough. Like, I'll be honest with you. There's this client who I've been working with for probably nine months and they were not paying me very well, but I have been reliable. I have turned in every assignment on time. I have done everything they want and gone above and beyond. There was one week where they threw like 20 articles at me and I got them all done for them. You know, I have really, really done what they needed and been there for them to help their client succeed. It's a marketing agency. So they have a client who they're trying to help. And this year, at the end of the year, they doubled my rate. That's amazing. And they have an editor who literally rips my stuff apart. So clearly I'm not like the best writer they've ever seen in their life, but... I have the credential and I have, and I always am reliable. And that's really what they want at the end of the day. So if you can demonstrate that and you can create, do good work at the right pace in a reliable manner, like that's really what they want. They're, nobody's looking for, to hire the next, like Elizabeth Gilbert, like they're just <laughs> not. Totally. Okay. Well, that makes me feel a lot better. And hopefully it makes the listeners feel <laughs> like it's a little more achievable. If someone does like to write, but they're a little self-conscious maybe about their writing abilities, do you have any places or resources or strategies that you like to recommend for just getting better at writing? You just have to write. You just have to write every single day, ask for feedback. You know, in, in my RDs Who Write Facebook group, I'm happy to read over people's stuff to give them feedback on their writing ask a colleague to help you with your writing, read other articles written by RDs that you respect and that you think are, you know, good writing. Like the Healthline articles, I think are pretty good examples of, they have kind of their own specific style, but they're pretty heavily edited. And so they're reasonably written pieces. And then over time, it just starts to get better. You can always take a writing course at a junior college if you want, like just a general English course to get your writing improved. But I don't know if anything, any of that's really necessary. Yeah. And is there some aspect to like of Matt, if you're writing for someone else's platform of kind of matching their style and their voice. So maybe it's a little different than learning your own voice. Cause you're not just writing for yourself. You're writing for a client. Most of the big websites have content guidelines. And so they'll like walk you through how to write the articles, but you know, some of them don't and they're fine with whatever you think. And, but yeah, your, your clients will usually tell you kind of how to structure the article or you'll work together and you'll figure that out. Totally. And this isn't something that I had put on my original brainstorm of things to talk about, but it just popped in my head when you were talking about how this is a great opportunity for dietitians because of their credentials. And I haven't mentioned this on the podcast yet, but I know you're in my SEO course and I've talked about this somewhat Mm -hmm. um, in my platforms, but the concept of EAT or expertise, authority, and trustworthiness, that's something that's been emerging in the SEO world and Google has been cracking down a little bit on what it perceives to be lack of authority on health-related articles that are published on the internet. So Mm -hmm. EAT is just like a, it was coined by Google in one of their reviewer documents. And basically the idea is the more you can establish your expertise, authority, and trustworthiness as a writer and with who is creating the content on your website, hopefully that's going to give you some sort of boost in the eyes of Google and its rankings. Mm -hmm. So how have you capitalized on that as a freelance writer? Oh, girl, this eat things, best thing that ever happened to me in my whole life. (laughs) You're right. They Google, I guess, wants articles written by people who are authorities. 
And so what happened is everybody, like clients came out of the woodwork like crazy because a lot of their SEO rankings dropped when this happened in July or August or whenever it was over the summer. And they all, I probably had like four reach back out who had kind of gone off my radar and left and come back and said, please let us add your name to these articles. Can you please be a fact checker for us? Can you please like help us boost our eat, boost our rankings back? So the request for bylined articles and a byline is like you put your name on it and you have your author bio on it has like skyrocketed. I mean, since that happened, business has been just off the hook. It's unlimited. Yeah. It's like a new thing that's happened in the last year or so, Mm -hmm. really less than a year. But yeah, I can see the potential specifically. Like, I feel like it gives us some, I don't know. Sometimes people are like, oh, there's so many fake experts on the internet and they get all uh, riled up about it. But like, this is actually an opportunity where your credential gives you an advantage because these websites are looking for people with degrees and experience in the field that they're writing about. Mm -hmm. So definitely use that to your advantage. I mean, and just recently I started working with a infant of a new vegan infant formula and I was able to get like a great rate on that project because I had these experts behind me on my team. You know, I was like, I have a maternal feeding expert. I have a vegan expert. I have a blah, blah, blah. And I said, this team can create this expert content to boost your expertise on your website. And they were like, please, let's let's work together. Here are a thousand articles for you to write. So it's been great. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I love hearing that because it's real. It's happening right now. So definitely jump on that if you're thinking. I mean, I feel like it's even an opportunity, even if you don't necessarily want to go full on into writing, even just fact checking and editing, like you said, or mm-hmm. yeah, I, I've been approached actually as well. I didn't take them up on the offer, but to be basically a fact checker for articles that were in the past written by people without a degree and they're going back and they're revamping the content and they want to put someone's face and name on the article to mm-hmm. Uh, make sure that this is accurate, helpful information and not misleading, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of nitty gritty, how does this all actually work? Where does someone go to become a freelance writer for a company or a brand? Like, are they just cold emailing people? Mm -hmm. Are they using some sort of agency? Like, where should people go? There's basically three places to find freelance writing jobs. One is you apply for job postings that you see online, just like you would a regular job. And so there's a lot of different websites with job postings on there. So websites like ProBlogger, Indeed, even Craigslist has jobs for freelance writers. There's several of these types of websites. Upwork is a, I think, the best place to start as a freelance writer. There's a lot of hate on Upwork, but I feel like it's an easy place to connect with clients and people who are looking for freelance writers. And if you don't know what Upwork is, it's basically a website, a marketplace for freelancers. So companies post jobs that they're looking for and hire freelancers through the platform. You do have to pay a fee to access Upwork, but I mean, I've gotten a lot of great jobs on Upwork. Is it like a month, a monthly fee, annual fee or per project? Or like, how does that work? They just recently changed it where you have to pay to apply for the jobs. I think because they're trying to reduce the number of people who just like apply for everything. And then the clients get overwhelmed. I think it's 15 cents per connect. And each job is like two to six connects. That's pretty reasonable. (laughs) Yeah. 
And then you pay a service fee once you get the job based on the percentage. It's a percentage. But it allows you to connect with people who you never would. I mean, I one of my first clients was Dr. Axe when he was first getting started. And I found it on Upwork when it was something, when it was Elance, but that's where he came from, you know? Yeah. I found my Healthline gig on Facebook. So, you know, just keep your eyes open. <laughs> They're out there. Right. There are out there. So that's the first place. But I will say that a client who has a large budget isn't posting a job because they don't want to get inundated with a thousand unqualified people that they have to sort through. So they are going to, the job, any job that you see posted is going to be a lower paying writing job just for that reason. Another way that you can go about um, getting writing jobs is to pitch to companies directly. So either companies or magazines or websites, a lot of them have, if it's like a big website like Healthline or, oh, I don't know if Healthline has this because I haven't looked, but you know, a big magazine, they have a section of submission guidelines. If you Google like self magazine, write for us, usually that will come up of like how to submit pitches. So you would send a pitch or if you want to look to connect with a company, you want to look for somebody in marketing and then find that person like on LinkedIn and send them a letter, what we call a letter of introduction, which basically says, Hey, I'm an RD. I like to write. And like, do you have any content needs? This sort of method is kind of a volume game. You probably have to send out a hundred to get one response because these people get cold pitched all the time. So just be aware that it's not going to be like right away. And then the easiest way for me to find clients and that has been really great is that they find me and that's through LinkedIn, through referrals and through my website. So if you can kind of get to that point and this is where the momentum comes in and they're finding you and you're not even doing anything. That's perfect. That's, that's the magic. That's the magic. <laughs> and when they, you say they find you on LinkedIn, do you think they're searching for like freelance writer or like, how do you think they're finding you on LinkedIn? I do. I think they're looking for RD writers, nutrition writers, and I have that on my title right under my name and they find me that way. And it's probably really optimal because LinkedIn is all about like your career and your experience. So they search and they find you, they open your profile. And then at this point you have so much experience and samples and big names that you've worked with. Mm -hmm. So that probably draws them in as well. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So let's, I feel like since these are different strategies, it might be a different answer, but so once maybe let's pretend you're pitching someone or, or someone emails you or messages you, what happens next? Like when do you, do the bigger companies have rates that are kind of set usually, or are you the one proposing the rate? And then what is the rate? Is it like per article, per word, per month? Like, how does that work? Right. <laughs> it can be any of those. Most of the major websites, in my experience, like Healthline, like whatever, do have set rates. There may, may not be wiggle room within that. I, I don't know. But usually their rates are pretty set because they're like, they work with a lot of writers. They want to just like have the budget and that's it. For a company, like I work with a lot of kind of smaller supplement brands. I usually set the rate and I just ask for, for what I think is fair, what I want for the project. So it's kind of a combination. In general, I try to work on per project rates, not per word or per hour, especially not per hour because a 500 word article can sometimes take me four hours because I'm distracted and looking at Facebook and not paying attention. 
or I can crank it out in 30 minutes. And like, that's not fair for the client to have to pay for my just general distractions, right? Yeah. Or the opposite for you to not get compensated because you're so awesome. Right. So if I do it in 30 minutes, because I've been locked on and I slept good, you know, like I, I should get paid the same regardless because I'm still doing the same work. So I try to just do a flat rate kind of based on project. I like to just do it in 500 word increments because it helps me with my brain. I can calculate it easily. So 500 words is X amount. A thousand words is X amount is double what the 500 word would be. And it goes up from there. That seems to be just a pretty straightforward way of, of pricing it. And it's it's worked for me thus far. I kind of, I do have in my head a per word rate because I just like to know how much I'm making per word on average, but I never charge per word. Yeah. Like it's not something you share with the client. It's more like internal. Exactly. That makes sense. Yeah. And for people who have no clue, what is just like a ballpark range of what you would get per word or per article range of words? I've seen writing rates really, really vary. So when I started out, my rate was 10 cents a word. And so that was $50 for a one page article. And the time I felt like that was very, very fair. Now my new rate is $200 for a one page article. And there's clients that pay me $350 for a one page article. So it's kind of all over the place. And I know RDs who are making $500 or $800 for a one page article. So I don't, Yeah, I can't tell you. That's a great point. But I do think, thank you for sharing detailed and actual numbers. Cause I also feel like that's one of the barriers for people getting started in a new avenue. Mm-hmm. They're just like, they don't know, they don't have any benchmark for what's even realistic when they're trying to plan, whether this is something they want to get into. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really helpful. Yeah. So, and then how does it work? Like, do you invoice them before you write the article or upon delivery or after all the edits are done? Are there even like edits? Just how does it all work? Sure. So the client will hire, say they want to work with me. And then, you know, I send them a quote and they agree or or don't agree to the price and and the, the scope and whatever it is. And then I usually start the writing. If it's a client who's international and I just have like no ability to go after them, if they don't pay me, I usually will collect the money up front just to be sure I get paid. I always work with a contract to make sure that everything is kind of outlined and very clear on when things will happen. I deliver the article, you know, whenever we had agreed upon for the article to be delivered, and then they will usually pay me. I I try to get paid within five business days through, I usually get paid through PayPal. Some bigger companies have their own pay schedules. And so I, I, I work with that. It's just part of the, part of the process, but usually I do get paid upon delivery. Oh, and I always include two edits in my contract. Cool. And then are you like emailing them a Word doc? Do you use Google Drive? How does that all get coordinated? I try to use Google Drive because it's just easier than Word, but some of them are fine with Word and yeah, are on Google Drive now. It's just easier. And I feel like this makes it seem less intimidating because it's not some like crazy fancy system that you have to learn. Like you're literally just writing in a Google Drive. Like you can do this. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. There's no, there's no magic programs or anything. (laughs) As the writer, 
how much of the planning process like is on you or is this maybe based on like what you're charging? Like, do, are you picking the topic? Are you getting assigned a topic? And then like, then you outline it or something. Mm-hmm. And I think some people also wonder like, oh, do I have to format it? Do I have to make images? Like they're probably imagining a, the, the end product of some blog post, And they're wondering like, what's my responsibility as the writer? Most of my clients give me the topics. Some of them are collaborative I do offer a service where I will create a content plan based on like SEO of your website and what you want to write about and that kind of thing. But most of the clients have their own plan already based on like what they're doing and they have marketing people who are in charge of that. So I'm really just the executor of the plan. I don't really format it in any specific way unless they ask. I don't provide images because I don't want to. And they do all the formatting onto the website. Like I've never, I I literally turn in a Google Drive document. Yeah, that's my experience too. Like I've never had to do images or I did do some formatting, but it was like very easily laid out up front and really basic. Right. Uh, And just within the Google Doc, I never like went into anyone's website or anything like that. No, a few of them want references in a certain way, but it's not, it's really not a big deal. Totally. And then is it, is there an average turnaround time for how long people give you to, to write the articles? I can usually get most things done in about a week or two, but every client kind of has a different need. Like there's one that will assign like 15 articles at a time. And so that's kind of like our month's worth of work for that person, you know? So it just depends. Mm-hmm. Totally. And then is your experience that maybe initially you just get hired for a one-off project and then maybe that turns into an ongoing relationship or is it always pitched as an ongoing relationship? I would find that I find that most of the time people kind of want to get their feet wet and so they want to do like a trial project first before signing on to like 20 articles. I think that's more comfortable for everybody. It's like you don't want to get married after your first date, you know? Totally. And this sounds like kind of a lot to manage if you're working, maybe not if you're just working with one company and it's like a side thing, but if this becomes your full-time thing, got to keep track of deadlines and contracts and payments. Like, do you recommend any sort of system or software to keep track of everything? I usually use just a Google calendar and then it's connected to the Trello that I use to communicate with the team. And then I kind I use my head, which is starting to not work out very well for me anymore. So in 2020, I'm switching over to try to use Dubsado. I'm looking into that too. Yeah, it's cool. So I've been slowly kind of dipping my feet into that to see if it can give me kind of an overall bigger picture of like who's doing what and how we're managing everything. Because right now I have like multiple Trello boards and I don't always keep them up to date. And I feel like as the business grows, things are going to fall through the cracks. Yeah. And for people who don't know what Dubsado is, I mean, I haven't actually used it in real life, but I've been playing around with it. It's more appropriate, I think, for someone who's offering some sort of service because it basically you can schedule stuff on it. You can have it automatically email out contracts Mm -hmm. that can get signed electronically. And then there's like automatic dates and deadlines that you can attach to different types of things that happen. So it's all there and you're not doing it manually. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, I haven't announced this publicly, but I'm dabbling in in the idea of doing some service-based stuff. So yeah, that's kind of what I've been Mm -hmm. poking around on it for. It doesn't make a lot of... If you're just selling online courses or you're maybe running a private practice, there's other options out there. You probably don't need it. But for services, especially, it's great. Yeah. I I think that that, once I get my mind around it, that that's going to really help me stay more organized. Cool. So before we wrap up, is there anything that you feel like you 
know now, now that you've been like full-time doing this for the last four years or so, what, is there anything that you wish you knew when you were starting out that would have really helped you? I think what held me back for a long time and, and it still holds me back to some extent is really fear, just fear of judgment, fear that somebody was going to write back and say, this is the worst thing I've ever read. Fear that, I don't know, like I didn't, I wanted to pitch to write for big magazines for a long time. And I was too afraid to pitch anything because I thought that they would like shun me if my pitch sucked or something. So I don't know, like that's kind of the main thing that really held me back. So I think just the fear of putting myself out there and, and still like when I, when I increase my rate, I'm like, oh my God, everybody's going to like fire me and they're never going to want to work with me again. And they're going to say I'm crazy. And just so many fears are things that held me back. And what am I afraid of? You know, what, why did I not do that sooner? And when I really started to just stop caring so much about what these strangers thought, I just started pitching and I started doing it. And yeah, occasionally you get like a bad response or something, but 99% of the time it's either nothing or or positive. So why not? Yeah. And I, I had some of that fear as well. I think starting out, I don't know about you, but I think it actually helped me in a sense to start as a freelancer because there's a separation a little bit between you and what you're putting out. It's like, oh, it's for this brand. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's not like on your website where people can, I mean, it, this doesn't really happen that often, but like you could get, you know, some hate comments mm-hmm. or something. So it, it helped me psychologically to start out, to get my feet wet, to be writing for someone else's business where it's like, no one's going to come, like probably no one's going to come like hunt you down sure. and be like, yeah, personally message you as the writer on some random big site. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that is a big issue for a lot of people, even even when they've been doing it for a little mm-hmm. bit. It's, it it kind of is always scary <laughs> to try new things. So what advice would you get? Would you just, your advice would be to just do it anyway, like feel the fear and work through it? I think you just got to do it. If you want to be a writer, you got to put yourself out there. No one is going to be like, here's a dollar a word writing job. Like they're just not, that's not going to happen. Like you, you can't build a business unless you work at it every single day and show up every single day. That's so true. And I think your point that you mentioned earlier about just, it's like a volume game in some respects, like I definitely fell, have fallen into the trap in other projects that I've tried to do where I send like five emails reaching out to people and like no one responds and then I get all down about it. But it's like you only emailed five people. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, you got to reach out a little more than that. But yeah, thank you for sharing your experiences with that because mm-hmm. I think that's going to make people feel a lot better maybe about things that they've tried in the past if it gives them some perspective like, oh, maybe I do just need to keep going and reach out a little more than I have. And then the follow Follow up that really changed my business is when I started aggressively following up. Like today, I spent most of the day sending emails, like, hey, what's up, emails to previous clients. And that's what my whole week is going to consist of because that's how I'm going to fill up my schedule for January. I mean, never did that before. I feel like there's so many parallels. My boyfriend's, or sorry, fiance mm-hmm. now is in real estate. And it's, there's so many similarities here where, yeah, like half of your business pretty much can be drummed up just by randomly reaching out to people you haven't talked to in like six months, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Yeah. And that was like something that was very uncomfortable for me because I didn't want to bother people. But I realized like they're not just going to randomly email me. Yeah. And it's like, what's going to happen? If it's not relevant, they're probably just not going to respond. They're not going to email you being like, why did you reach out to me? You know what I mean? (laughs) Usually they do not. Yeah. (laughs) 
So one last thing, are there any common mistakes that you see new freelancers make that you'd recommend doing something differently or, or not doing? I don't know if there's any really, I think just not doing it. Like you said, like sending five emails and being like, oh, nobody wants to work with me for writing or applying for one job and not getting it. And, you know, just kind of not being aware that it really takes quite a bit of effort and you're to some extent, still competing in this world of gajillion people who want to work online as a writer, but you have the credentials, you have the ability, like you know what you're talking about as an RD. And and I I do think the opportunities are out there. You just have to kind of go get them. That's awesome. So I know you're being very modest because you have a lot of great resources for people. (laughs) And I want to make sure that we spend some time talking about them. The first one obviously is your Facebook group that I think catapulted a lot of this stuff. Um, It's called RDs Who Write. It's a group, free public group that you can apply to join on Facebook. I've been in it, I think, around since when it started. Mm -hmm. And I love it. So can you tell us more like what prompted you to start a Facebook group about writing as a dietitian? Mm -hmm. What can people expect if they join the group? I started the group like kind of right at the beginning of when I kind of went full time with writing. And I was struggling. Like the first month that I was like a full-time writer, I made $120. And that was like probably the same month I started that group. And I saw these other RDs like on Twitter and on Facebook, and I saw them like having these big writing jobs. And I was like, how can I like connect with them? Cause I don't want to just reach out and be like, Hey, tell me everything, you know? And I thought I'll start a Facebook group and I'll invite them to my Facebook group. And then they'll help me be a writer. And And (laughs) through that process, I became the expert in the Facebook group and I became the top writer in the Facebook group. Right. It's so cool. I think there's so much wisdom in that. I, I feel the same way. I started my group because I was trying to start an online business, not because I already had one. Mm-hmm. I was trying to find my way too and just trying to find make a space to talk about it and support each other. And I feel like a lot of dietitians, there's opportunity for sure in Facebook communities and other platforms to just build a space. You know, you don't have to be the expert already. In fact, if you already are the expert, you probably waited too long Mm -hmm. to build that community because people like to see the journey. And I feel like it's really relatable when you're starting out and you're not 10 miles ahead of people. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. I think I've tried and I I feel like I've accomplished this is to like be real about positives and negatives. Like I don't just share like I made a hundred thousand dollars this year. Like go go through my posts in that group and you'll see I got fired today from this job and I if somebody told me they hate me and like I sh- I try to share just as much of the ups and downs you know like all the same yeah I think that's one of the standouts about your group and is I don't know if it's every Wednesday or something like one day of the week you go on and do little mm-hmm. live videos in your car and I feel like that super connects with people and one of the comments that I always see coming up again and again in your group is like, oh, you're so real. Like, thank you. You know what I mean? Well, I'm, it's been a great community for me and the relationships that I have, you know, friendships that I have because of it has been amazing. And like, I just, I love helping the RDs and it's not even like for me to really benefit from so much financially. It's because I want, I, I just want a community that I can share with. Totally. 
And then from that, I know at some point you came out with an ebook mm-hmm. and then later an online course mm-hmm. to give even more guidance for dietitians who want to become freelance writers. So can we talk about that for just the last like five minutes sure. or so? Like what prompted you to create the ebook? Why did you pick an ebook to start versus maybe something more in depth like a course? I think the ebook seems easy. I think trying to sell something for hundreds of dollars seemed a little intimidating at first. The ebook, I actually wrote it in an afternoon. I just brain dumped my whole brain into it. And it just seems like a, like something that would be easier to sell to see if anybody even wanted to buy anything from me. I mean, I didn't know. And so almost like a form of validation. Uh-huh. Yeah. Product validation. Because I had been there in the group for doing just hanging out for free for so long. Like I had those fears, like what if somebody like reads this book and is like, you're wrong about everything you think? Or what if somebody like, what if nobody buys it? But the first day I sold a thousand dollars worth of a $27 ebook. That's freaking amazing. (laughs) And I feel like that's just a testament again of building that relationship with your people. Like I bought it when Mm -hmm. it came out and I didn't really need it because I wasn't planning on becoming like a super crazy freelance writer. I already was just had my one gig and that was fine. But A, I wanted to support you because I was thankful for all of the tips and information that you had shared. And I thought if I can get like one helpful tip out of this, it's definitely Mm -hmm. worth the $27. Like I think at the time you were also sharing as like a bonus, I think there was like a contract template or a pitch template or something like that. That was super helpful. Yeah. So congratulations on that. Thank you. I think a lot of people kind of felt the same way. Like I have been there for so long and they they just wanted to like support me. And that was kind of a good way to get my feet wet. And then today, is that still something that you make sales on or mm-hmm. do you have like an email sequence or anything set up or how do people find out that you even have an ebook? It's pinned to the top of the group. And then when you sign up for the email list and you come into the group, you get like an email that says like, here are some resources. I really don't push it that much. I probably make $100, $150 off of it every month. That's great. For doing nothing. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. That's kind of how, that's around like what my nutrition blog just brings in in random like Amazon affiliate income every Mm -hmm. month. And you're right. It's like you did the work once and now it's just kind of like sitting there bringing you extra money and it's great. It's really low pressure. (laughs) And then what made you then transition to wanting to create a course? I think I just needed something more and people wanted more guidance too, like just a little bit more handholding, a little bit more in depth. Maybe the, you know, the guide wasn't quite enough. So, you know, I launched the course last, I don't know, August or September and I've run it. It starts again tomorrow. So Amazing. that'll be the second time I'm running it. And it went really well. Like I was in shock. Like one lady girl was able to uh, quit her full-time job because of a, a resource that I shared in the group. Another one like has so many writing jobs now and everybody who came and showed up and and actually went through the modules got writing work. Totally. And I feel like it speaks to, there's just like different learning styles and not everyone will open an ebook. Maybe they don't like to learn through reading. Maybe they get distracted and they're like, oh yeah, that ebook I never opened. But when there's a video or something or someone guiding them through, they're like, do this. Some people learn better that way. You know what I mean? And same with individual coaching. I like the idea that there's different tiers, maybe different price points and different styles that people can consume your content. So there's always something right for the individual. Right. So it's been great. I, you know, I think I've gotten a lot of great feedback about it. And, and I, I think that if that it's a great way to, to get started as a writer. So going back, would you start with the ebook still or would you just go into a course? No, I think I needed an ebook. I think it was an easy totally. thing for me to do. I had just moved 
across the country. I had like a little baby, like it was, I just needed something to put out there. Like the course was overwhelming to put together. Yeah. Now, did you feel, do you feel like now that it's done, it's a little easier if you're running it like for the second or third time? Oh, definitely. I mean, I don't have to put the content together now because it's there and and I, I plan on just actually putting it into a sales funnel and just selling it that way from now on this year. Cool. Do you use like Teachable or Thinkific or something? What platform do you use? I use Teachable. Yeah. For people listening, that is an online course platform. I talked about it actually in the third episode, mm-hmm. second episode of this podcast for people listening. If you want to go back where I talk about ways to make money online as a dietitian, it's the part two episode. But yeah, Teachable is basically a platform where you can pay a monthly fee, or maybe also a percentage of your sales, depending on which level you're on, and they handle everything for Mm -hmm. you. So you just make the content and kind of plug it in, and they'll do the payments and manage everything for you, like all the hosting and everything. So it does make it significantly more easy. Mm -hmm. I I self-host my courses using a plugin called LearnDash, and I have used Teachable as well, actually Teachable and Thinkific in the past. And yeah, if you're if you don't like tech, those are probably the way to go at least to get started because it is a lot more challenging to set it up on your own website. But then you you kind of save money in the long run. Mm-hmm. So it depends on how much like is this something you want to be your whole business or just like a side stream of income that might impact people's decisions as well. Right. Yeah. All right. So if people want to continue to connect with you and learn from you or maybe check out, you know, your ebook or your course, where should they go? I think the best place is my Facebook group, RDs Who Write. It's free and open to whoever. You can also come follow me on Instagram. I have a goal for Instagram this year, so I'm going to be posting more. And that's under nutrition underscore writers is my business Instagram. You can always, you know, connect with me on my website. That's where the ebook lives. You can purchase it there. And that's AnnaRiseDorf.com. I'm pretty available, happy to answer questions, happy to talk to people. So those are kind of the main places. Awesome. Well, I will add links to all of those in the show notes so you can check it out. And thank you for being here. Honestly, this was super informative. Thank you for giving us a behind the scenes look and a realistic look, I feel like, of what this career choice is like and helping people feel like it is something that's in reach it is. for them. It is. You're welcome. It is. I'm happy to, I'm happy to share. It's really been the best things that ever happened to me. Amazing. Well, I hope that you get lots of new people checking out your group and hopefully signing up for your course because I mean, as I said, I have bought her ebook. I'm not in the course, but you do amazing work and I would highly recommend it. I don't have any doubts about recommending it to everyone listening. Thank you, Erica. Yeah. Thanks again for being here. It was great talking. All right. No problem. Bye-bye. Seriously, how great was that interview? I bet you guys learned so much. I know I did. If you'd like to get links to any of the things that we mentioned during the episode, just head to theunconventionalrd.com slash episode 006. 